0: Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast, the sermon that you're about to hear is from our 2022 Decoa Baptist Camp meeting. We hope that this will be a challenge and an encouragement to you today. Save somebody, say amen. Well, that's pretty good for a bunch of Baptists, amen. Well, the Lord's been good. You know, last year we were here and uh, uh, you that have been around here for a couple of years, you've seen all that we've gone through with our voice. We lost our voice 10 years ago. I'll take just a couple minutes. And, um, you know, the Lord has strange ways. I heard this morning preacher talk about our dark seasons. Well, I went through a dark season 10 years ago, and when you have uh, two surgeries back-to-back and the doctor comes out at Wake Forest and says, "Uh, your singing's over, your preaching's over, you may never speak again. Go home and enjoy the rest of your life. That's basically what I was told. And uh, I lived in fear for almost 16 months, canceled all my meetings. I was in evangelism. And absolutely, standing in front of the mirror trying to make something come out, nothing would come out. No sound whatsoever, not even a whisper. And I thought God was through. I mean, God began to create another voice. Uh, You've heard some of the story. God gave me another set of vocal cords, basically created a set of false vocal cords. So for the last uh, nine years, I've been preaching uh, something similar to Kermit the Frog. I don't know how to explain it, but it really sounded bad. And I'd go places, and I'd have to tell the same story because people listened to how I sounded instead of what I was saying. So i tell the story and give God glory because they said I'd never preach again. So I kept preaching. So every time my wife calls it a perpetual miracle, God didn't heal me, but every time I stood up, it was a miracle that I was even standing up and preaching. So God's been good. About a year ago, we began to pray and I told the Lord I was not satisfied that I couldn't sing. I wanted my voice back. And so God led us to Baltimore, to John Hopkins University Hospital, to Dr. Simon Best, a Jew. Hope he's watching if he is. I'm praying for him. We've been witnessing to him. He's kind of uh, fascinated and flabbergasted that our God, Jehovah, the God of the Jews, uh, we believe in him so much. And I told him when I first went up there, I, he said, I think we need to do surgery. So it's up to you. I said, no, it's up to you. He said, I said, God, sent me here I said sovereignly God's brought me to you you're responsible to get my voice back he's going to use your talents so whatever you say I'm going to do what you say because I believe God I believe in God and God brought me to you and so kind of put the monkey on his back and so he's been watching us he's fallen in love with us he is just a great doctor young doctor Canadian and just absolutely has spent time with us time and time and time and time and so after two surgeries, uh, six weeks ago was our last surgery. We're still healing up from that. But my voice came back. My vocal cords are now working. Somebody say, Amen. And I don't sound as good as I want to sound. But if I can sing, I told the Lord, give me my voice back. A song's been in my heart ever since God saved me. And I want to sing for him. So the devil cheated me out of the song this morning. I couldn't remember the verses. I don't have Alzheimer's. I got some timers. And sometimes I remember and sometimes I don't. So uh, I got a cheat sheet. So I'm not going to forget the verses tonight. And this is just for all of you to let you know where I'm going. Hope you're going there too. I've been traveling for Jesus so much of my life. I've been traveling on land and on sea, but I'm counting on making a trip to the sky. That'll be the last move for me. When I move to the sky, up in heaven on high, what a wonderful trip that will be. I'm all ready to go. Washington Calvary's full of glory. That'll be the last move for me. You don't understand. I ain't done this in 10 years. I'm about to have a spell, amen. I've been, to, mm, I've seen wonderful sights. Have I tattered, traveled afar? How little, how empty they seem. I'm so excited King can't sing. When I make my last move to that city of gold, That'll be the last move for me. Here's my favorite verse. Here I bothered with packing each time that I leave. And I carry a load in each hand. This is good. But I'll not need one thing I have used in this world. When I move to that heavenly land. When I move to the sky up in heaven on high what a wonderful trip that will be I'm all ready to go washed in Calvary's flow that'll be the last move for me hallelujah Preacher, the greatest nightmare for a preacher is to lose his voice and to be able to sing again. It may not be the best, but glory to God, I'm having the time. Amen. Woo! I feel like shouting and running. Somebody just help me out a little bit. I'm too old and fat to run, so somebody run for me right quick. Amen. (laughs) There you go, buddy. Take a lap for me. Thank you, brother. I tell you, it's been good. The Lord has been so good. I just praise him. Uh, We've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and God has met every need. We don't owe a Dr. Bill up there. God met every need, and we're just praising him for what he's done. And I'm careful. I'm going to be careful until the day I go home to thank him. And then when I see him face to face, I'm really going to thank him, for God's been better to me than anybody. Thank you, church. I've seen so many this week that have come to me and said, we've been following you on Facebook. We've been praying for you. And uh, when I came out of surgery six weeks ago, I was, matter of fact, I was still in surgery when I woke up. That don't usually happen to me, but I woke up in surgery and I thought, she said, You're still in surgery. I said, Oh my God, shut me back up. Turn me off. You know, do something. And she said, No, we're through. We're just kind of get you unhooked. I said, You're not in. And I started to hurt and I said, Oh my soul. And I was talking better then than I talked in 10 years and I knew the difference. I could tell the difference. I knew my voice was coming back. And if I could have got up off the bed then, I'd probably took a shouting spell and scared everybody half to death. They thought I was probably crazy losing my mind being in Baltimore. John Hopkins, you don't want to act crazy. That's for sure not up there. Because <laughs> there's a bunch of crazy folks in Baltimore. And if you're from Maryland, God bless you. Amen, i just... Oh, boy, I'm telling you, but God's good. God led us there. I know it was the sovereign act of God, and I just praise him. I'm just glad he's, he's still working on me. And I appreciate my wife. She's been through all of this with me 49 years now. We've been together this December. And uh, she's been through so much. And whatever God does, she's going to get all the rewards. I won't get any. She's going to get them all. She's paid the price and sacrificed her and my family, and I love her. love you. love this church. I was trying to remember how long I've been coming. I think I've been here every year, but a couple. Uh, Brother Steve Freeman and I got to know each other. I was friends with Eddie Killian and his daughter and Steve's son married. And so, um, Brother Eddie told me that Brother Steve was starting a camp meeting up here, and I knew Brother Tedder. Uh, Brother Tedder and I met in 1987 when I was in Murfreesboro with the tent with Brother Sexton. I was leading the singing, he was preaching, and Brother Tedder and I became close friends. Of course, since that time, we've had a tent meeting here, we've had youth crusades here, we've had uh, revivals here, we've done camp meetings. It's kind of like my second home, amen? And uh, I loved Brother Tedder. I appreciate Miss Tedder, and I love Brother Warren. I tell you, he and his family—they have just uh, become just precious to me. And I was so excited when the church voted him in as pastor. And I thought, "How, Doctor Tedder? Yes, yes. Praise the Lord." I don't know much. I, I pastored him I'm on my fifth church. I've helped start twenty one Baptist churches around the country and I'm not to saying the Lord's let me do that. I know a little bit about churches and I'm glad they did it right. Brother brother Ted or mentored a man to get him ready for this work. A work of this caliber and this size you don't really need to turn it over just to let it to kind of go for a year and try to figure out which way God's will is. It's good for a man of God to know what the mind of God is and have somebody ready to go in place so if God should call the man out then you've got somebody ready to take it. Somebody ought to say amen right there and uh, you know our preacher brother Bobby Robertson didn't do that and of course Gospel Lights doing better. They've got a good pastor now, brother Matt Morrison, just a great man of God. Brother Bobby went home to be the Lord, and I'd pray with him on Friday, on Saturday nights. And I'd say, Preacher Bobby, what you going to say?" I don't know. I said, God put me here, and God put somebody else here. And of course, that church went through a long time. They're trying to figure God's will. Brother Frank was there and took over. But I'm telling you, it's good for a church to know the mind of God and appreciate Brother Tedder, the heritage. Uh, I've, I've got about five messages I want to preach. I promise you, I'm not going to preach them all, but I'm going to preach what God wants me to preach tonight. But I've got something I want to do before I preach. I was thinking on this this week. There's reasons I come here, not just because I'm asked to preach. Brother Tully's been so gracious, Brother Warren, Brother Tedder, but I, and Brother Freeman. I don't come just because they call me to preach and ask me to come preach, but I, there's another reason, a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of reasons some of you come. Uh, all of us preachers have preachers, uh, places we love to go to every year. Uh, there's places that we have on our calendar that's a highlight of our year. It's not just because we're a part of it, Because it does something to help us get through what we have to go through. You've got meetings you like to go to that refreshes you some more than others. And uh, I used to go up to Brother Mike's camp meeting there in Paducah. He was one of my dearest friends. He's in heaven now. And uh, every year we went up there. One year we took 80 people from our church up there. We'd come back and have revival. People get saved and we'd shout it out and just praise. It was just a place to get refreshed. And I wrote this down years ago, and I'm just gonna give this to you before I preach, why I come to Victory Baptist Church in Toccoa Baptist Camp Meeting? Number one, because of the man of God that pastors here. Brother Tedder and Brother Warren, that's the reason I came. I tell you what, it's important to me who the man of God is at that church. I'll say that again, I don't go to church because the church has all the programs. When I'm looking, if I ever have to look for a church to join, I look who the man of God is. I've always pastored, only been just a member of a couple churches, churches, Gospelite, and that's about it besides the churches I pastored. But if I had to join a church, the key would be not the facility, not the programs, it'd be who's in the pulpit. And if you don't have the right man in the pulpit, it don't matter how much money you got in the bank or what kind of programs you got, if you ain't got the right man of God, phooey, just shut her down, amen. And so I come here because of the man of God that preaches and pastors here. I come here because of the men of God that preach here. I'm not gonna come here somebody I don't agree with. Going, don't you die on me. I'll preach till midnight and I feel like doing it tonight. Uh, I come because of the men of God that preach here. I don't come to hear uh, T.D. Jakes or Joyce Myers. I come because there's old-fashioned, fundamental Bible preaching, spit, slobbering, sweating, jumping, hollering, screaming, Baptist preachers that don't mind preaching. And they don't mind preaching to us and telling us where we are, where we need to be. That's why I come here, because of the preaching, and the preaching this week has been phenomenal. Uh, it's been some of the best. I'll tell you some of these messages been spot on. I'm gonna preach that message, don't keep sounding the symbols. I'm gonna be a symbol cy- sounder, whatever that is. I'm gonna sound some symbols. It was great, awesome, all these messages have been, I come here because of the preachers that preach here, I come here because of the word of God that's used here. If it wasn't King James, I wouldn't be here. Hello, somebody help me. I come because of the word of God, the King James Bible. We are King James Bible believers, amen. I'm not ashamed of that, I'm not embarrassed about that. I've been that way since I got saved. I got saved during the King James Bible. I got called to preach with the King James Bible. And I've been preaching a King James Bible for almost 50 years and I'm gonna do it till Jesus comes. So it's the cost of the Bible that's preached here. I come here because of the family of God that tends here. Some of the sweetest, this is my crowd. My crowd's not up in Washington D.C. in Congress. My crowd's not out yonder at Walmart. That's not my crowd at Walmart. You go to Walmart, everybody's got their mask on, and they're hiding behind their shadows. And you walk in, they look like you're a a thief trying to rob them or steal their wife or their money. Everybody's so scared. It's just, I'm not, that's not my crowd. My crowd's not out there at the ball field. My crowd's not at the racetrack. My crowd's not at the movie theaters. My crowd's at the Baptist church. Amen. Oh, I see this is going up. So, anyway, I come here because of the Spirit of God that dwells here. I come here because I feel the presence of God. Some of you preachers know you've been in a lot of places where God didn't show up. <laughs> You'd have to know P. Kirkendall. P. Kirkendall, they called him Wild Man Kirkendall. He's from Chattanooga, Tennessee, preached in the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee, and I met P. Kirkendall in the Chattanooga tent meeting for the first time. He come walking under the tent, pulled up in a yellow. I'm talking about one of those baby puke yellow Cadillacs about 40 years old. And he got that big old tall fella, about six six, an old lanky mountain man tall, has hair in his hair. These guys have these hair that kind of do it like this and try to cover up all the bald spots. It's about 12 inches of it. He just flips it back like this and gets out of his car. He walks in, sits down the platform beside me and says, God told me I need to come to your church. You got some hell in your church. That's what he said. I thought, who in the name of heaven is this preacher? Well, I found out it was P. E. Kirkendall. He was sitting in my church getting ready to preach one day, and he told me a, 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 a story. He said, "I was in a church in Pennsylvania one time, sitting on the front row fixing to the preach. The place was packed full." He said the Holy Ghost, "Said, I've never been here. What are you doing here?" He said, "Lord, what?" He said, "I've never been here. What are you doing here?" He said, "I leaned over to the pastor and said, Pastor." Holy Ghost just told me he'd never been here Want to know what I was doing here. He said, I don't want to hurt you. He said, I'm just going to slip out. I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to leave. You can do what you want to. You can preach, you can dismiss, you can pray, you can go home, sell the church, whatever. I'm leaving, I'm not staying. He said, we've advertised the churches for you. You got to get up and do something. So he got up and he said, okay. He got up and read Hebrews chapter 12. Priest says, if you eat without chastisement, you're a bastards and not son. He said, This church is not the church of God. He said, You're not people of God. He said, The Holy Ghost has never been here. I'm not gonna stay here. Goodbye, gone. I'm blessed. I'm out of here. He's gone. He left. Well, after I don't know what all happened after he left, but six months later, there was a new church they started and he went to preach. Make a long story short, after he left, the deacon got there and conviction got saved. All the deacons got saved. Well, about 50 or 60 got saved. Well, they run them off. They run the whole crowd off of the church. They went up the road and started a brand new church. So Kirk and I went back there and he said, the place was packed full of people that got saved because he went there and told them God wasn't there and he woke them up and they got saved. He said, I don't really expect you to do that and try to build a church, but he said, it worked for me, amen, so anyway. But if God's not there, I don't want to be there. I come here because of the spirit of God this here, number six. I come here because of the praises of God that's promoted here. If you feel like running, nobody's gonna get upset. You feel like shouting, raising a hand, you know, everybody's different. I'm strung real tight like a banjo string. I'll shout, you know, and I'll I'll run, sing, do whatever. My wife's one of those. Some people cry. Some people just get that far look look in their eye, far away look like they're looking in another world and some folks just kind of do all kinds of crazy stuff. My wife, she doesn't get really emotional. You know how I know my wife's in the glory? If you see her chewing her chewing gum real fast, she's in the Holy Ghost, buddy. She's in the Holy Ghost. Amen. She's gonna kill me when I go home tonight. I come here because the touch of God that I feel here, his presence. Number nine, I come here because of the help of God I get here. Every time I've come, I've always got help. Can somebody say amen there? I've got help. There's a place where you can get help. Number 10, I come here because of the Christian examples that are demonstrated here. People in this back working in the food, people here in the front, people all around through the church. There's love and humility and unity and holiness. First Thessalonians says you are examples unto us. So I come here because of the Christian examples. I've made a lot of friends here. That's another reason I come, because of the friendships I've made here. Some of you are as close as my own family. We communicate often through the year. You stay in touch with me and I with you. Pray for your needs. You pray for mine. Those are friendships. And friendships today are a value. They're a price. So I come because of the friendships I've made here. I come here because of the burden you have for souls. This church has a burden for souls. And lastly, I come here because God's here. You're here. We're all together. Come together in unity. And it's a place where we can come and get refreshed and go back revived and renewed. That's why I come to Coa Baptist Camp Meeting in Victory Baptist Church. That's why you'll keep coming. You need to bring others with you because it's a place where you come and there's not many of those places left. Camp meetings are shutting down. Churches are closing their doors. Preachers are throwing in the towel. I hear almost every week of another preacher that's gone bad or quit or another church closed its doors. In our town of Kingsport, Tennessee, there's probably 50 churches for sale right now in the Tri-Cities area. Buildings that are no longer in use. Many of them Baptist churches. Most churches have just a few. They've quit out almost all their services. They come once a week and that's about it. I'm glad there's still some places that believe God's still on the throne. Matthew chapter 17 tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Brother Tully. It's an honor always to stand. I kind of feel like a donkey in the Kentucky Derby after preaching after all these preachers. These guys have done a great job, and thank you guys for everything you've said, every message you preached, you've encouraged my heart. Thank you, Brother Tully, for your leadership, and thank you, Brother Warren, for being my friend, and for God using you in such a way, the example you've set, and the leadership you've provided for this church, and I love you, and my prayers are with you every day. You know, most of us in our Christian life, and I'm guilty as a preacher too, most of us talk more about our valleys than we do about our mountaintops. Um, I've lived in the valley most of my Christian life. I was telling uh, the preacher, and I said, I know you won't believe this, and of course, I'm not complaining, it's not a pity party, but in the last 20 plus years, I've had 47 surgeries. 47 surgeries, Um, unbelievable. On my throat, my back, everything that could be taken out, I can still operate, has been taken out and removed, I think, and things that can be replaced. Uh, It's just been a nightmare of physical issues, but the one thing I determined through it all was that I wasn't gonna quit and give up by the grace of God. And so there's been times i preached when I wasn't able, but I told the Lord I would preach if he'd help me, and he's always helped me. I may be in the bed for a week afterwards, but I've always tried to mind the Lord, and his calling's precious to me. When I thought I'd never preach again, I almost lost my mind. I thought, God, I'm no good if I can't preach. I'm not worth anything if I can't fulfill the calling you put in me. So we all have talked about our valleys. We sing about our valleys. The God of the mountain is the God of the valley. We sing about the valleys, in the valley he restoreth my soul. And many times, sad to say, we make the of uh, the valleys appear to be the place where we can get most help. And I do know the, the water sometimes, the creeks and the prettiest flowers grow in the valleys from between the mountain. I understand that, I understand that in the valleys, it's cool, there's a place of peace and refuge. But there's something about the mountains I never thought about until this week. God burdened me the first of the week about this. Message. I never preached it before. Matthew chapter 17, if you found your place, I want you to stand. This is not gonna be an expository message. I'm not going to take verse by verse. This is gonna be nothing but a topical message. But I wanna deal with this and I wanna be a blessing. I wanna kinda of close this out if God will help me. We've heard things to help us. You've been challenged, you've been convicted. But I really wanna give you tonight what I need. This, I'm preaching to me tonight. I'm preaching to me, and this is what I need. And God helped me today, my son, I called my son, and, and I told him, he said, he said what you preaching on tonight, Dad? And I never tell what I'm gonna preach, but I am so excited about this message. So I gave him the outline, he said, boy, that's good. I said, well, pray that it comes out as good as it feels to me, because I've really enjoyed studying for this message. Matthew chapter 17, you know the story, the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse number one, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. There's been time here at Victory. Sometimes I want to build some tabernacles to stay around here. When Brother Tedder and I first got close, I remember one day we was back here, I was here in a meeting that went a second week, I don't know if you remember, went an extra week, first time I preached a revival here. We was back in that office and he got to praying. My God, it got in that room. He got so tore up. You know, he always wept. It's, all you had to do was talk about a dog being run over and he'd start crying, it didn't matter. He was just went weeping. And he was back there begging, oh God, we've got to have a revival. God my, And I thought, Lord, please, you got to hear this man. And there's been times I felt God so real here that I said, Well, I just want to build some tabernacles and stay here. We even talked about it back when we were in evangelism. We talked about the potential of moving to the middle of Tennessee and just coming to victory and working out of victory. Because it's a place where you can feel the presence of God. And this is what these guys felt Lord, let us build three tabernacles one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. Y'all just hang around, just stay here. Let's stay up on the mountain, verse number five, while he yet spake. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud, can you imagine? Which said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. I can't comprehend what those men must have felt. I know Jesus told them to go back down the mountain don't tell anybody. I understand why Jesus told them not tell anybody, because nobody believed believe it. Can you imagine Peter coming down the mountain saying to the other nine disciples, you're not going to believe this. We've been up on the mountain with Jesus. They said, well, that's nothing new. you. You do that all the time. No, 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 no. Elijah and Moses was there. No doubt they say, have you been nipping the bottle again? Have you lost your mind? Did you fall and hit your head? They wouldn't believe that. So Jesus said, do yourself a favor. Don't tell anybody. Sometimes in these meetings we leave here and try to tell somebody, to look at you like, you're crazy. <laughs> they did what? They, I, I had a preacher call me today from Rock of Ages, they just finished their conference today. One of my preachers called and he said, you're not gonna believe this, he said we took up $200,000 for Rock of Ages and said 80% of us was just Rock of Ages missionaries. I said glory to God. But who believes that in the world? $200,000 just from a bunch of poor missionaries? But God can do great and mighty things. Can you, can you imagine, they saw Elijah, they saw Moses, they were with Jesus, Jesus is glorified in their presence and top all that off. The Shekinah cloud of God covers the mountain and God speaks from heaven. <laughs> That's enough to make me wanna build a tabernacle and stay. So they've experienced something great. And when you study the Bible, God has a lot to say about the valleys, but there's a lot of Bible characters that spent a lot of time in the mountains. And I thought about it and God gave me this message I want to preach tonight on mountain dwellers. I want to dwell on the mountain. We started this meeting out with uh, I'm feasting on the mountain underneath the, we sing about it, we just don't live there. And you can't live on the mountain permanently because growth doesn't take place on the mountain. Sometimes it's kind of dry up there. Sometimes the trees die when you get above the snake line. I've been to Wyoming and stayed overnight and prayed in those bighorn mountains and 10,000 feet up, you can hardly breathe. Cold. June, there's snow on the ground. Wake up in the tent and there's snow on your feet. I mean, it's crazy. But you don't live up there, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go there sometimes. So I want to preach tonight on mountain dwellers. Brother, would you lead us and ask God to help this poor preacher? I need you to pray for me. Pray tonight. Yes would not return Jesus you brother big seated. The Bible refers to mountains often the Middle East is a hilly country if you study if you 've ever been to the middle east it 's a hilly country. there are a lot of mountains, many Bible characters are connected with mountains as you study from Genesis and the Old Testament to the New Testament. Much is mentioned about mountains. Many of these men's lives, the most important events happened in the mountaintop. You think about some of the famous mountains in the Bible, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Carmel, the Mount of Olives, Mount Hermon, Mount Pisgah, Mount Nebo, Mount Moriah, most of all, the place, the high threshing place, the place where Jesus, Calvary, Mount Moriah, Abraham where he sacrificed. All of these mountains are very important. mountains often referred symbolically to the nearness of God that you find God in the mountain. You get near to God in the mountain. And this also refers me to God's presence. Because you know, one of my favorite Psalms, especially when I go into the hospital and dealing with folks, Psalms 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. There's this something about the mountains that you, when you symbolically look at the mountain, you think about being near to God. I believe you're closest to God in the mountains. I just love the mountains. I prayed in the mountains. I live in the mountains. I love to hike in the mountains. In the mountains. I love to hunt in the mountains. I used to, I can't walk these mountains anymore now that I'm old, but I used to love to hunt in the mountains. I've hunted the bighorns in Wyoming. I love the mountains, and in my spiritual life, some of the greatest events of my life have taken place in the mountains. Although God has done a work in the valley, the valleys have matured me, the valleys have increased my faith, but the greatest events in my life has taken place in the mountaintop. As you study the Bible, these mountains become symbolically important, even to the point of referring to God's power, God's might, God is associated as the God of the mountain this God of the valley, he's also the God of the mountain and so on so in in the book of Psalms we read a lot about David's reference to the mountains and the hills of help and in my distress I lift up mine eyes unto the hills and so as you study this the mountains takes on a different meaning when you look in the history or begin to study the statistics and surveys of our our nation and our world as a whole 60 to 80% of all the fresh waters Supply and resources comes from our mountains. Most folks, when you think about the water supply, you think about the seven seas and the oceans and all of the great bodies of water. But that's not where our water comes from. Our water comes from the mountain. Our fresh water supply comes from the mountain. The rain off, rain, uh, rain off as it comes, the melting of the snow, uh, the springs, the nether springs, the higher, the lower, the upper nether springs. All of these springs that have their fountain head many times in the highest peaks of the mountains, where nobody knows exactly where they begin busting through the rocks coming into the sunshine, this fresh water where I lived in, in Tennessee. Uh, there's a, We live on a road that's a dead end. It's a mile from the stop sign to the end down where there's a farm. And I walk that road every morning. I walk about two miles, two and a half miles every day. And I get down to the very end before I make a U-turn and come back. On the left, there's a little stream. And the stream starts right at the fountainhead there. There's a spring that comes out of a tree, out of a root and out of a rock. It's just, there's nothing there. It's just a, a dry a bay of water bed during the summer. but where that spring starts, there's water 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, because there's water coming out of the rock, coming out of the ground. It's a place, and it's kind of in a little mountain area, because we're up on a mountain. There's something about the mountains. Our fresh water, at least half of the world's population, depend upon the ecosystem of the mountains to survive, and just as important as the mountains are to mankind, spiritually mountains become a part of our Christian life sure we'll spend a lot of time in the valley sure we'll spend a lot of time suffering and going through affliction sure we'll have our dark seasons when it seems like God is a million miles away but were it not for the mountaintops when God takes us up above the clouds where we can get up above the snake line as the old preacher said and we can begin to see the vision of the other side we begin to sense that we're away from the danger just for a little while and God's presence seems to hover near those are the seasons that. Are our life where God encourages us, where God strengthens us, where God renews our faith. Thank God for the mountaintops and God help us to become mountain dwellers. Somebody say amen. Amen. Symbolically, Christians speak of dwelling on the mountaintops as we sung that song, I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless skies. The Bible's greatest characters were mountain dwellers. And as you look at some of these Bible characteristics of these men and women, mostly men that I'm gonna, all men tonight, I'll mention, women can live on the mountaintop too, but God refers to many of these men that are great leaders in the Bible as men that had their greatest events in life took place on the mountaintop. Jesus was a man that dwelt a lot in the mountains. His three disciples, Peter, James, and John assisted him and followed him and accompanied him on many trips to the mountains to pray. Caleb was just an old man when he crossed over into the promised land as a spy and said I want that mountain. He had been to a mountaintop. He had seen what God had promised Abraham. There's a land, Abraham, I'm going to take you to. You don't know where it is. I'll tell you when you get there, just leave everything Thing and go and I'll let you know how to get there and I'll let you know when you're there and when he got close to it Moses said okay so I want you to take 12 spies and go across and Caleb and Joshua was two of the 12 and all the guys are looking at all the sights of Canaan they see the grapes they see all the fruit they see the green fertile fields they see all the fruit trees and the fields that are planted already there for their taking and of course the ten saw the giants and they said we're just grasshoppers we can't take it there's no way we can put possess this land, but while they're fussing and fighting and full of doubt and fear, Caleb sees a mountain that he spies at. I believe old Caleb was a mountain boy. I believe he takes a hike and said, that's what I want, Caleb goes up there, begins to see that mountain, comes down and said, Joshua, I've found my place, I'm gonna build me a log cabin. I want that mountain, I want that mountain. Well, it took him 40 years to get there, but 40 years later when they crossed over Jordan and Joshua let him know the first thing Caleb says, I want my mountain, he had a mountain top Experience with God. I want to say thank God for the valleys, but I'm glad tonight God has let me have some mountain top experiences. Amen. Mountains are very important to the Christians, and all through the Bible, these characters represent what the mountains have meant to them. I want to give you seven things tonight that I believe are characteristics of people that become mountain dwellers. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is not just for preachers. You say, "What's this got to do?" Every message has been kind of geared toward what we are going through and things to help us in our ministry and our homes and, and every message has been spot on. But tonight, I believe God wants me to encourage you that to have what we've been hearing about this week. Some of us have got to get out of our valleys. We got to take a trip to the mountain. We need to get up above the snake line and say, God, I'm tired of living in the low country. I'm tired of living down where everything, I can't see, you can't see. I want to get up on the mountain and feel the presence of God. Number one, mountain dwellers are people of prayer. When you study the Bible about this thing of prayer, Jesus spent most of his time when he prayed. Many times in the book of Luke, Luke was of course a man that wrote Jesus as a, as a man. Matthew is a king and Mark is a servant and Luke is a man and of course John is the son of God. When you look at the prayer life of Jesus, you may have to go to Luke to get most of it because there he appears as a man. I think I'm right, Brother Tully, I may be all, I think there's 13 particular references in Luke that gives examples of Jesus praying, and most of them are just his daily prayers, when he's just his routine every day of just spending time with his Father. And out of all the references in the Bible, Matthew in particular, Matthew and Luke, Matthew 14, 23, Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Luke 9, 28, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and then went to the mountain to pray. Here, Matthew 17, Jesus took these three disciples apart into the mountain. They were used to going to the mountain. It was common for them to go to the mountain to pray. Jesus loved to pray in the mountain. There was something about getting up above everything else and getting along with God. I've done that so many times. I remember years ago when I first started pastoring back in the 80s, I was just a young pastor. I was just out of Bible college. Matter of fact, I took a church while I was still in Bible college. And, uh, you know, Brother Daniel Buchanan and uh, Terry Dietz and all those boys, well, they were just young, you know, and I wasn't that old. I was in my 30s. But I was older than some of them, most of them. And uh, so there was a, a cabin, you may have been, there's a prayer shack down in Lenore up on top of the mountain, you've been there probably. And Brother Daniel told me about it and said, there's a man got a cabin, it's a prayer shack. And it takes about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to climb that mountain, it's pretty good ways up the mountain, and it's pretty steep, so we started going up the mountain to pray and on Friday nights after we got all the kids fed and did our groceries and had our family, whatever, I'd leave sometimes right at dark and I'd drive up to Lenore about an hour, hour and a half. I'd get to Lenore and I'd pull up to the bottom of the mountain there and park the car here I'd go with my blanket and my flashlight and my bible and some water here I'd go up to the cabin we'd get up there and all these guys start showing up and we'd meet inside the prayer shack we'd start sharing our burdens and talking about what God was doing and I was in revivals I was preaching almost every week It's back when I was pastoring and God had started me in the revival ministry and the tent ministry in 1983 I was preaching almost every day of my life and God was working and boy I knew if I was going to preach Sunday I had to have the power of God I knew I couldn't stand up unless God anointed me. I didn't want to stand up and just preach a sermon. I wanted to hear from heaven. My folks need to hear from heaven. I was preaching to people every week. That was messed up drugs, alcohol, everything you can imagine. I said, God, I've got to have your touch. And I'd find a place after we disbanded from the prayer shack. I'd find me a place down in the law, thinking on the side of the mountain, Get my Bible. And boy, I'd start begging God. I'd say, God, sometimes I didn't know how to pray. I'd just lay on my face before God and say, God, I don't even know what I'm I need, but I want something supernatural, I don't want to stand in the natural, I don't want to stand in my flesh I want you to touch me with something from heaven that'll change me so you can change others and I'd feel the presence of God come across that mountain like the power of God in the tabernacle, in the temple the Shekinah glory of God, I'd come down that mountaintop just floating like I was on the clouds, floating down the mountain Sunday morning, I'd mount the pulpit with that extra gear like i double clutch I'd feel the Holy Ghost hit me with a double clutch I say my God I've never felt such and God would preach me and God would anoint me not because I was supernatural in my studies or so smart and intelligent in my outline it's not because of my abilities and my talent but i had been with God in the mountain and God had manifested his presence and God had made himself real thank God for the mountain top experiences but if you ever spend time with God in the mountain it will change your prayer life somebody say Amen, my prayer life changed on that mountain. I learned how to pray on the mountain. I learned that God was near in the mountain. There in the mountain, everything seemed to be unimportant but just hearing from God. Oh, I never heard an audible voice out of heaven. I never saw angels perched on the limbs. I never saw visions of 300-foot statues or the Virgin Mary speaking to me in Latin. I never heard or saw that. But God has been so real in those mountains. I could feel one night, I remember I went up there and I subburdened down, uh, brother preacher. I didn't know what to pray, I'm honest. I was in in Romans eight mode. I was in with groanings that cannot be uttered. I did not know, brother, I didn't know brother shepherd how to pray. And I just said, God, I don't even know what to pray. I laid on my face until the morning sun was about to break. And God, absolutely, the Holy Ghost, about six o'clock as the sun was coming up, I'd been there all night on my face not saying a word. The Holy Ghost says, I love you. Thank you for spending time with me tonight. You can go home now. Go home and get some rest. I'm gonna do what you need. Thank you for, I felt like God had just snuggled up to me. It was sweeter than my wife putting her arms around me and kissing me like, it was sweeter than my grandkids saying, Paw It was like God just snuggled up and said, thank you for putting everything else aside and coming to this old mountain just to spend time with me. I felt the presence of God in that mountain. I'm telling you, if you're gonna have a life that's supernatural and a life that's above normal and a life that gets you out of this world with all the pressures and gets you through the, the discouraging times and the dark times, you've got to be a person of Prayer. and the greatest place to change your prayer life is to live in the mountain. You've got to become a mountain dweller. I remember the first time I stayed in the Bighorn Mountains, we preached a camp meeting out there in Buffalo, Wyoming, and then at that Friday night, Saturday morning, well, Friday night after service, we went up the mountain in the dark and the gallery had the tent up and we got to the tent about 8,000, 9,000 feet up and I went to bed, I had my my, my sleeping bag. I didn't sleep in the tent because all the guys in the tent were snoring. I couldn't, I mean, it was was awful. It was worse than steel chainsaws. I'm telling you what. I mean, them mountains, I thought there grizzly bears, everywhere. probably that scared the bears, the elk, everybody out. So me and one of my buddies just stayed out around the fire and I kept the fire going, I just stayed and stayed near the fire and you'd hear those guys, that tent was doing this with the snoring and that morning, it come a frost, I mean, this is June the 30th and it was like, it was Father's Day and it was about 30 degrees, it was cold, snow on the ground, about six inches of snow. So we climbed up to about the 10,000 foot mark, got up on those rocks, and a shepherd I could see almost 100 miles in every direction out there. Clear, that old, that, that summer cold, it brought all those clouds away. It was just clear one wasn't a cloud in the sky. We climbed up on those rocks and me and Daniel and some of them started praying. And boy, I started getting in touch with God. I felt God get so, I said, God, you're here. I began to look across his great creation and saw the God in his handiworks, the God that hewed out those mountains, the God that made those valleys, the God with his finger, just kind of drew a river to go down through the bottom, the God that put the little pine trees and the God that feeds the squirrels and the deer and the elk and the bear and the God that feeds all of his creation, the God that one day as a son of a drunk reached down and saved my unworthy soul. That God decided to fellowship with me that day and God changed my prayer life in the mountains. I'm glad that the mountaintop dwellers can be people of prayer, cause it's there where you find the nearness of God. Jesus is our greatest example, and Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Everybody say amen. Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel in the greatest prayer of his life. When he called prayer down, fire down from heaven, defeated the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. That took place on a mountain. Moses was on the mountain when he interceded for his people Israel. They were down in the bottom committing idolatry, dancing around a gold statue that Aaron said, we just threw some gold in here, come out this calf. It just happened to come out. We started dancing naked. Isn't that spiritual? That's about like a lot of independent Baptist churches now. They may not be dancing naked, but they're getting pretty close at it. Amen. Just worshiping anything it's going to the beat. Here Moses on the map. As a matter of fact God says this so 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 straightly He said had Moses not intervened for my people Israel I'd have wiped them off the face of the map Now that's in the vernacular you got to read that in Hebrew He said I would have wiped them off the face of the map He said had it not been for Moses I would have destroyed my people God was going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth but God God's servant Moses in the mountain said God you can't destroy them You brought them out of Egypt. You save them, you redeem them. If you destroy them, what will your enemies say? and God's servant Moses interceded for his people on top of the mountain. Some of you preachers have got issues in your church. You're not going to solve them in your office counseling. I can tell you that. You're not going to solve them trying to reason with people that don't want to be reasoned with. They're not looking for you to change their mind. They're looking for you to change your mind. They're not trying to get you to help them understand the truth. They want you to get your act together. You're not going to change them in your office. You're probably not going to change them much in the pulpit. I'll tell you we can change them on the mountaintop. You can get with God in prayer and God can do more. Five minutes behind closed doors than you can do in the pulpit or in your office. It takes getting on your knees and letting God change your prayer life. God give us a supernatural prayer life and that takes place on the mountain, amen. Moses, Elijah, and so many others, their ministry, their ministry was in the mountain and they became people of prayer. There's an old song in that old church hymnal he was mentioning this morning, the old Redback back, Stamps Baxter Church of God hymnal. I know the Independent Baptist fuss about it but some of the best songs ever written is in that church hymnal. We use it in our church. I love it. We use that in the soul-stirring songs. But that one song says, There's some days I'd like to be All alone with Christ my Lord. I can tell him all my troubles all alone. There's some days I'd like to be all alone with Christ my Lord, I can tell him all my troubles all alone. Most of us call our preacher friends and tell them our troubles. And there's nothing wrong with that, you need somebody to talk to. And if we got pastors, we call our pastors and tell our troubles. There's times, brothers and sisters, you just need to be alone with Jesus. What well, that preacher said to a young preacher, he said, if your preacher's got problems, you think he's messing up, he said he's doing everything wrong, He said, don't go to the deacons and don't go to the board. He said, go tell God how sorry your preacher is. He said, just go in your holy of holies and tell God. said, God, we got the sorriest preacher you've ever called. He can't stand right. He can't speak right. He steps over his own feet. He stumbles. God, he ain't worth two cents. And the preacher said, if God don't kill kill your preacher in 30 days, then you need to take out you some insurance, amen, because you're the problem, not him. There's sometimes you don't need to tell anybody but God. There's things, and I told my wife this, I said, for so many surgeons that you better, I said, there's a bunch of people better hope I never start talking crazy when I come out of surgery. Brother, I got so much stuff I could blackmail a half a million people around this country. They stuff I know that nobody but me and God knows. That's a heavy weight, you know stuff preacher, you know stuff about people that nobody knows but you and God, your wife don't even know. I told my wife the other day, I said, they stuff that I've had to go through, you don't even know, I wouldn't tell you, put you through that. She's been a part of everything. I have said, these people, things I know, I wouldn't tell you for nothing. If I ever start babbling off, I'm telling you, it'll be a mess. It'll be a mess. But who are you gonna tell? I'm not gonna, because some preachers won't hear that stuff. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, just tell me. I'll, I'll share it in prayer. I won't tell nobody. Yeah, you won't tell nobody until you get the next preacher meeting you'll preach on it, amen. I'm talking about getting along with God and just telling God, because who's gonna fix it? If it gets fixed, God's got to fix it. Somebody help me man can't fix these problems. It's gonna take a holy God. I had to deal with something last week in Bible school. We had a, I know I'm on, I know I'm on a live stream, so if they're watching, God bless you, I ain't gonna change. We had a little girl that's been coming to this church. This church is 50 years old. I've been there less than a year, small church. Had about 20 when I went there, run about 40 or 50 now, God's blessing. Brother Shannon was just there, Miss Tiffany's son. Sweet people, sweet church. We had a vacation Bible school and this girl, she's been coming to church there for vacation Bible school, she don't come to church. She just comes to vacation Bible school. She's 11 or 12, I think she just turned 12. Her name was, I ain't gonna call her name. And so when she came in this year and I knew there was a problem, they'd already warned me. And she is now a transgender. And so we put her in with the girls, in the girls' class. My wife was teaching the girls' class because she likes one of the girls that came there, not in our church, but she comes also at Vacation Bible School. She's the same age, and she likes her not just as a friend. So I'll just leave you to that, y'all know what I'm talking And so she's having anxiety attack in the class because my wife is teaching, and it's getting kinda hot in there because my wife isn't called to preach, but if she was and she wasn't a woman, I'd ordain her. Oh, she can absolutely, she knows the Bible. My wife walks with God, she's holy and she's the best Christian I've ever met. But She can teach and she was teaching and she's under, the girl's under conviction, no doubt about it, and she's lost, she needs to be saved. So the girl and her mama comes and said, we need to talk to you, so I went out to the audience, auditorium and took a lady in the office with me and a man, the sound man was sitting back there, he heard everything. And so she said, I don't wanna be in the girls class because I'm a boy. I said, well, well, wait a minute, you're not a boy, you're a girl. She said, no, I'm a boy. I said, no, you're not, you're a girl. She said, you don't love us, you're, not, you're pushing away transgenders from Christianity. I said, no, I'm not pushing anybody away, but I'm gonna tell you two things that'll never change. Number one, you're gonna stand before, God. you're gonna die. I said, everybody's gonna die, you can't change that. Second thing, you can't change, you're gonna stand before God, when you stand before God, you're gonna stand before him as you are, not what you wanna be. You are born a girl, you'll die a girl, no matter how many, how many operations you have, you're never gonna be anything but a, boy, but a girl, you're not gonna be a boy. And I said, I'm not putting you in. I said, you're wanting me to lie for you. I'm gonna tell my kids and tell every, every kid in this church and every parent in this church that I'm identifying you as a boy. And I said, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Well, she got mad. She, she told her mom off. She told me off. Oh, she went run out. She said, I'll never be back. I thought, well, praise God, that problem's over. Will she come back the next night? She's testing me. Want me to give in. I didn't budge. She was miserable. So the last night she comes and she sits with her little girl So I sit down right behind her during the whole thing. She is absolutely nervous as a tick on a dog, man. I'm telling you, she's nervous but I'm not going to change. I, I, I'm just not going to change. People, absolutely, we're in a crazy, who are you going to get to fix that? She's not going to listen to nothing I say. I got her in such a broken condition. I told her mama, her mama's got her. She's on, she's on some type of medicine. She's on anxiety medicine, something like Prozac. She's suicidal. She's going to counseling every week. I said, if you're taking her to a, to a counselor that's not a Christian counselor, I said, they're consigning her soul to hell. They're condoning what she's doing. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. I said, she needs to have somebody that has the power of God that knows about this situation and that can deal with her. I said, she needs to get saved, number one. I said, you're not allowing this to happen. You're endorsing this. She said, I can't do anything with her. I said, that's the number one problem. Your husband's not helping you. Where's he at? Well, he's home. He just don't want to get involved. Get involved, nothing. I'm telling you, this is a crazy generation, but I can't call you and tell you and expect you to fix that problem. But I tell you what I can do. I can go to the mountaintop and get with God and God can work behind the scenes and God can deal with that. And God can convict her and show her what she needs when I can't get to her, God can, amen. But that takes mountain dwelling. You're not gonna get that in the valley, it's gonna take the mountain. Number two, I'm almost through in about another hour. Mountain dwellers are people of prayer, number two, mountain dwellers are people of faith. Abraham's greatest challenge of faith came on Mount Moriah. God had given Abraham a son in his old age. His wife thought God had lost his mind. She laughed when she heard she's gonna have a baby. God said, you laughed. She said, no, I didn't. He said, yeah, I heard you. you. Don't ever argue with God. I've tried that a couple times. I asked God one time when he woke me up one night and told me to go do something. I said, God, do you know what time it is? That's the dumbest thing you ever asked God. Do you know what time it is? It's like arguing with God. So he she argued with God and said, no, no, I heard you. She laughed. I told somebody, my wife was 90 years old and told me she was gonna have a baby. I wouldn't laugh. Boo. Old people aren't to have babies. They're not made for old people. I got eight grandkids, I love them. I love them more when they leave. I just love them, I love them more. They They wear me out. I got them from 18 down to four months, five months. I mean, they're absolutely everything I can handle. And you get them all one time, "Ah!" my house is like a three ring circus. It's crazy. And all my girls are like me, they're loud. All three of my girls are loud. My son is a a Baptist, uh, independent Baptist evangelist. So he's loud, he's crazy too. But my three girls are loud and you get all three of my, and all their children are loud. Every one of them are. And, and these girls, all these girls, they can't do anything but scream. That's all they do, Tiffany. They scream, these girls with these screams that take your ears to another tone that almost makes you, you say, ah! I want to give them some, some sleeping pills and put them to sleep for about 20 years like Rip Van Winkle wake up when you're ready to get married and call me to your wedding. That's it, just this, ah. But Abraham was tried in his faith. I'm having fun tonight, I guess y'all know that. I'm feeling pretty good, so don't get in no hurry, we're not going anywhere anytime. So anyway, man of faith. And God says to Abraham, after the promise of this son, probably around the age, just a young man, 12, so whatever, maybe older, but God says to Abraham, I want your son your only son, take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Up the mountain, Isaac and Abraham go. Isaac said, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham could have said, son, you know, God just ought to do something. He really ought to do something in this situation. That wouldn't have satisfied Isaac. There's a lot of people living in the faith of God ought to do something. You know, our nation's in a mess, God just ought to do something. That's not faith. A lot of Baptists are in the, God just might show up. We get the, God just might show up and do something. That's where a lot of people live in their Christian life. We're in a mess. God just might, God might, God might send revival. You know, brother, brother, brother Shepherd, God just might show up Sunday and do something for my family. God just might save my mom. God just might save my dad. God just might save my children. God just might save my, God's not a God of might. God's a God of will. Because Abraham did not say God might or God should or God possibly can. God said to his son, my God shall provide himself a sacrifice. Faith is not saying God should or can. It's not just God can, it's God will. And Abraham got that on the mountain. He didn't get that in the valley. He got on the mountain. Because he knew, he said, God, if I go up there and i kill him, I know you're able to raise it for the ashes. We heard that this morning. So Abraham was a man of faith. This kind of faith takes sacrifice and surrender. Down in the valley, you can't see very far. You know, down the valley, uh, our brother Culberson preached talking about being short. When you sit down, you can't see very much. You gotta stand up. You can't see much in the valley. When I've hunted before, you'll get lost down the valley. You can't see. When you look, I've been down the valleys, those big mountains and the big horns, and looked straight up in the dark, four o'clock in the morning, walking up those hills, and everything looks the same from the valley. You can't find your, you can't see the light. They say, follow the North Star. What North Star? There's no star. There's nothing but trees and hills. Down the valley, you can't see nothing. Brother Shannon, in the valleys, you lose sight. You get your eyes on your valley. It's all, you're in a valley. Where am I at? How did I get out of here? But you get up on the mountain. My favorite place in all the world. I've traveled the world, my favorite place. Going down Interstate 77 out of withful Virginia. If you're going 81 all the way, like you're going to uh, Baltimore, When you get to Whitfield, Virginia, instead of going 77 north to West Virginia, it takes 77 south, going North Carolina. And when you get down just before the North Carolina line, you start going down that long hill, it's called Fancy Gap, Virginia. I've crossed that mountain many a time. Brother Brother Shepherd, one night I was coming home from a meeting, my church was in turmoil, I had a call, I was in a mess. I was so broken, I drove about five hours. I was coming across that mountain about three o'clock in the morning, heading home from a meeting. God, bird my favorite place. And i topped top that hill and I could see to the left over there, see Mount Pilot, Pilot Mountain. May- Mayberry called it Mount Pilot, but we call it Pilot Mountain. And you see, uh, you see Mount Airy. You see Pilot Mountain. You see the lights for probably 20 to 30 miles if the clouds ain't up. And at nighttime, crossing that valley, going down in North Carolina, hit on the state line. I pulled over in the middle of that, that median, parked my car in the middle of the median. I sat on that guardrail and watched them lights, started praying. God began to answer and God gave me three things I wrote them down in my Bible. I won't tell you what they are, but God gave me three answers to prayer that night. I found myself running up and down the middle of that highway at three o'clock in the morning, running down Fancy Gap. Here come these big 18 words, hog, hog, hog. I can hear them on the on the CB. Breaker, breaker one nine, there's a crazy guy in the middle of the meeting here going down Fancy Gap. The guy's lost his mind, he's running like a crazy man. Somebody sent the law. I mean, they thought I was crazy but God just gave me an answer to my prayer. I didn't get it in the valley, I got it in the mountain. You know I could see. God let me see something on the mountain. I could see what I couldn't see in the valley. I did not see a way out of my situation. But on that mountaintop, I saw the God of the mountain. I also saw He was also down in the valley. But up in the mountain, I could see He's the God of the mountain and He's the God of the valley. He's the God of the problems. He's the God of the blessings. He's the God of the good times. He's the God of the bad times. He's the God of good health. He's the God of bad health. He's the God of church problems. He's the God of church blessings. He's God. He's God. He's always God whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever, God is God, but when you find God on the mountain, it changes everything. The God on the mountain, Abraham's on the mountain, he offers up his son. To every kind of faith we have that demands us to trust God, most of us will find that faith on top of the mountain. I saw something today I never saw before. It caught my attention. Lee Robertson's favorite verse was Mark 11:22. have faith in God. If you ever met Lee Robertson, he signed your Bible, it's how he signed, have faith in God. But that next verse says, talks about if you have faith in God, say to this mountain. Why did he say that? There's something, Brother Warren about faith in mountains. He didn't say, say to this valley, be filled. He said, say to the mountain, be moved. And the Holy Ghost said there's a connection between faith and the mountain. Because he said, have faith in God. If you got faith in God, you can say to that mountain. So he's on the mountain when he's saying that. He didn't say, say to a mountain. He said, say to this mountain. Have faith in God and say to this mountain. You get the faith on the mountain. And on that mountain, you say to God, God, I have faith. He said, say to this mountain. Be moved up on that mountain. You can see what you can't see anywhere else. People that dwell on the mountain become people of faith. Number three, mountain dwellers are people of prayer. Mountain dwellers are people of faith. Number three, mountain dwellers are people of obedience. Faith and obedience go together. The song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Moses received the 10 commandments on the mountain, but as soon as he got the 10 commandments where God said, this is what I expect of you, but I know you'll not be able to keep them. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna provide a way where you can be forgiven from those sins and be atoned for until a Messiah comes. So God gave Moses the pattern for the tabernacle and all the orders for everything that he needs to do to get them from Egypt into the Promised Land on the mountain of Sinai. He obeyed what God showed him. He learned to walk with God and became a great leader. But he became a great leader because of his obedience that he learned on the mountaintop. Many times, God calls his servants during mountaintop experiences. Now, I'll make I'll make a real plain statement here. Listen to me very carefully. I didn't get saved in the valley. I got saved one night when a Baptist preacher was preaching in the little church we were going to. I was raised in a drunkard's home. My daddy was the meanest man that I ever knew. The first five or six years of my life, I lived under the bed at night with a pillow over my head trying to drown out the cursing and all the violence, the abuse. I was abused as a child. My mother was abused. I got saved in a mountaintop experience because on that Sunday night, September 1963, the preacher wasn't preaching about Jesus on the cross, wasn't preaching about the virgin birth, but he made a statement, God will love you like a father. I never knew what a father's love was. I said, I need that. And I went down to an altar and a white haired gentleman knelt with me and told me how to be saved. I got saved, was baptized, joined the church. I've been serving God ever since. Amen. But that was a mountaintop experience. When God called me to preach, I was sitting in Hammond, Indiana, the second annual youth conference, 1976. My wife and I was there for the, we were youth directors in our home church. I was there in the second annual, David, Dave Hiles was the youth pastor. Jack Hiles was the pastor. Alvin Dark, Clyde Box, John R. Rice. John R. Rice was preaching on the home. Had nothing to do with preaching. Preaching on the home. And he made a statement. It's better to obey than sacrifice. I heard that verse five times in three weeks from five different men. I never heard the verse before. Raised it under 1 Samuel. To obey is better than sacrifice. Five times God run that verse by me. And it didn't take place in the valley. Was in 3,000 young people. People shouting, winning souls, everybody excited, youth groups excited. Most people I'd ever seen in one place, the biggest church I've ever been to, the first time I'd ever been to a youth conference, I didn't know Jack Hiles. My pastor said, we're gonna send Joe to him and in. I said, where's that? I said, you're gonna go to Jack Halls? I said, who's he? I said, John Rice is gonna be preaching with the soul of the Lord. I said, what's that? I didn't know, I didn't know that. And we went up there and God changed my life. That was a mountaintop experience. I didn't get called to preach in the valley. God called me to preach sitting on that pew. John was preaching. God said, I want you to do what he's doing. I saw myself up there preaching. Now I ran for a while. I put my wife in my home through torment running. I said, God, I'm not gonna preach. I want to be in music. I want to work with young folks. I didn't want to preach. God backed me, but I was in a mountaintop experience when God put the burden for me for revival and began to change my life for revival, I was in Camp Zion, Myrtle, Mississippi, Dr. Percy Ray, when he preached the great message on heart cry for revival, I was there. I was one of those thousand preachers, Brother Shepherd, that ran down to the altar and circled around Dr. Ray and agreed with him in Psalms 70, uh, Psalms 80, 80-whatever, uh, 80 84, 85, Psalms 85, where it says, will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice with thee. And I said, yes. And I came back and got 12 people in my church to pray, and we prayed for eight and a half years in cottage prayer meetings and God turned our church upside down, called dozens and dozens of preachers. I'm telling you, those things happened in mountaintop experiences. I've been in tent meetings where God changed my life. I've been in meetings where God saved my children. I've been in meetings where God supernaturally moved in such powerful preaching and the moving of God was so real, he did things in my life. The valleys have brought me to a place where I understand that God's faithful, but in the mountaintops, God has has done supernatural things in my life to believe that my God is not just a God who is old and gray and out of business, but my God is an ever-present help that can help and do the same thing now that he did 6,000 years ago. The same God that flung the world into existence is the same God that can fix this corrupt world we live in right now. If God can raise a dead man, God can surely save your loved one. If God can heal the leper, God can surely save your loved one. And if God can cause the sun to stand still, God can surely send revival to this nation. And I believe I serve a God who hasn't changed. But it takes faith. And you cannot see that kind of faith in the valley. I know you're going to argue with me. well, my strongest faith has been down my valleys and I've had to learn to trust God. Listen, I know what God is doing. God is getting us. I know tribulation works with patience. I know all of that. And I know that God puts us through difficult times and hard places. Spurgeon says, he says, gold has to be tried. Wheat has to be threshed. Diamonds have to be cut. So are the saints. I understand that. But if God never gave me the mountaintop experiences, I would have quit a long time ago if all I had was 47 surgeries, if that's all I had, Brother Shannon, if all I had was, was all those nights and days of me and my wife praying for my son, who was so far in sin that was spending $10,000 a day in a strip joint. His wife was about to sign a million-dollar contract in Hollywood to be a porn star. We went to bed every night praying for my son and my daughter-in-law and I thought, my son's going to hell. He sat under the greatest preachers. He's been in the greatest moves of God and he's lost and going to hell. And I've won thousands to God and my son's gonna die and go to hell. And there's not one thing I can do about it. I gave up, I said, God, you're not gonna save my son. He's going to hell and I can't help it. And my wife never gave up. I'd hear her weeping in the bathroom for our boy. And the day when he called six years ago on a Friday afternoon and said, Daddy, I can't go no farther. God, just Save me and now he's preaching the gospel tonight had God not given me that mountaintop I would have died in that valley thank God for the valley but thank God for my mountaintops and God gives me faith in the valleys but my greatest faith experience has been on the mountaintop are y'all with me most of y'all have spent most of your Christian life in the valley if you do not let God get you to the mountain you'll die in that valley God let us see some mountains. And the faith that you need will come from a mountaintop experience. And faith and obedience goes together. When you learn a faith, you must be obedient. Moses obeyed God. We need some mountain dwellers, some pastors, some missionaries, some evangelists, some teachers, bus workers, moms, dads, young people. who you want to walk with God in such a way, but to do that, you're going to have to obey him and you learn obedience on the mountaintop. Number four, I'm almost through. Mountain dwellers are people of prayer. Mountain dwellers are people of faith. Mountain dwellers are people of obedience. Number four, mountain dwellers are people of vision. Whenever Caleb, well, these disciples in chapter 17, the disciples got to see Jesus in his glory. The other nine didn't. Nobody else living that day got to see what those three guys got to see. The other nine was down in the valley, down in the level ground down in the low country. But only those three disciples got to see what they saw. The glorified Jesus, a prerequisite, a prevision, a prelude of what would be in the millennium King Jesus sits on the throne, his glorified state on the throne of God now. That's what they saw. Nobody else saw Moses and Elijah since they've both been taken away. Elijah and the fiery chariot and Moses hidden by God and his body debated over and wrestled over by the devil. Nobody else has seen him. But Peter, James, and John did. Can I tell you a secret? That day on the mountain was the first time they'd been there. Maybe to that mountain, not the first time they'd been to the mountain top of Jesus. When Jesus went to the mountain many times, brother Lee, they went with him. Jesus said, come on boys. Now why Jesus picked those three, I don't know. It wasn't because they were special. Some the same way of preaching. Sometimes people in your church, you're naturally drawn to. Probably because they need more attention. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes there's people in my church that I spend more effort with, not because I love them more, it's because they need more attention. I think Peter was one of those. He needed more attention. Peter had a problem. I don't know if you know that or not. If you've not read your Bible, you don't know this, Peter had a problem. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He had hoof and mouth disease. He's like most of us. He speaks for he thought. I'm never gonna deny you. I'm gonna go with you till you die. I'm gonna go all the way. Yeah. Yeah, for Rooster Crows three times, you're gonna deny that you even know me. Not me, Lord. I'm a I'm an independent fundamental primitive display scheme James Bible. So William Baptist. Well so be it. For the cock crew three times, but he here he goes. I don't even know this guy, Jesus. Not me and cussed. I mean just let it roll. Like a sailor cussing. No offense, Rodney. Sailor. Just cussing. I'm telling you. But here on the mountaintop, these guys saw something no they else saw. They've been with Jesus before. Matthew seventeen says the glory of Jesus was revealed in glory. They had spent time with him in the mountain before. This is not their first time. And God rewarded their effort, their faithfulness by letting them see a preview of the vision of Jesus in his glorified state. In the old testament, we read of one called Caleb, one of the spies I mentioned a little while ago. God gave Caleb a vision. nobody else in that crowd of 12 had Joshua believed that the the land was theirs but the other 10 didn't believe they could fight the spies the the, the giants they couldn't believe that giants could be whipped Caleb came back with such strong faith but more than faith he had a vision I think Caleb would not I think people got aggravated with Caleb I think in 40 years of wilderness wandering I think people probably said I wish Caleb would just go out there by himself and just leave me alone I'm tired of hearing about his vision all I hear about this stinking mountain what mountain? I ain't got no mountain. Caleb's walking. That's all he talked about. You ever meet somebody that's got a dream and all they talk about is their dream? Joseph. Joseph got on his brother's nerves. They finally tried to kill him. They got tired of hearing, you'll bow down to me one day. I'm gonna be bigger than you. My my calling's bigger than your calling. I mean, they, they just got tired of hearing and they're going to kill him. I think that happened to Caleb. I, this is not, it's not King James Bible. This is Harrisonology. And I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. You have got a right to believe what you want to believe. So I'm gonna believe this. I believe Caleb absolutely never quit talking about his vision, cause it appears when he got there 40 years later, he's as excited as it was the first time he saw it. I don't think he got call. I don't think he got across the Jordan River. I think he's in the Jordan River, walking across on dry ground. I think he gets to the other side. The first thing he says, "I want my mountain." And I think someone said, "Finally, God give him that mountain." Shut him up. You ever hear guys, all they talk about is their vision? And you you watch Baptist preachers, and you watch Christians, you watch people start buckling when somebody, all they talk about is their vision, what God's going to do. You know, when I first started pastoring, I took a church that had 30 people, and the pastor before me was only his second wife, and he had an affair with the third lady, so they ran him off. Went there with a church that started a building, and wasn't finished, and needed probably 300,000 to finish it. That spent $140,000 in bonds and the first bond come to you the first month I was there. $5,000 bond. And they didn't have a dime in the bank. They had 30 people. I'd been there less than three weeks, went from 30 down to nine and four of them was me and my two daughters and my wife. So we were really growing the wrong way from 30 to nine. I was just preaching. And, uh, but God gave me a vision. I was still in Bible college. I was working second shift preaching and uh, God gave me a vision. I saw what God's going to do. And as long as I still had 20 or 30 and things were going bad, I'd see a preacher in the hospital, you know, after things started getting good and we started seeing people say, started running our first bus and, uh, Mike Johnson got saved, he was a drug addict, and, and Lee Weaver got in, and we started running old Ford bus, we had parked down there in the woods, and cranked it up, and started driving the bus, and started bringing kids in, went from about 20, 30, down to about 50, 60, 70, we built a an harbor, and we had J. Harold Smith come in, we had 27 saved that week, and baptized 27 after he left, and church starts growing. So I'm in the hospital on Monday, and I see a preacher, and he said, how's the church going? Man, we had four saved yesterday, I baptized three. Man, I had five join the church. Oh, really? I used to. If I say, man, it's tough, man, i am tell you what, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Well, just hang in there, brother. It'll be all right. Praise God. You're going to do all right. They They'd encourage me. As soon as I started hearing things going good, you see the blood drop out of their face like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They got tired of hearing my vision. I say, "Man, we're fixing to build a brand new building." Man, we're over forty; ain't got no work. Put anybody we had five hundred Sunday. Man, we had a big day, and they just—they said, "I don't want." That's like—they don't say it, but you can see it in their face. I don't want to hear about that stinking mountain. Just shut up. And I think it's what happened, Caleb. I think they got tired of hearing about his vision. But you show me somebody that gets to the mountaintop with God, and God shows them the vision. They'll never shut up about it. People that are mountain dwellers are people of vision. You can't see in the valley what God wants you to see. Joshua 14, 12, that was the first words out of Caleb's mind. Give me that mountain at 80 years old. And you think you're too old to serve God? He was 80 just getting started. I want my mountain, he's climbing that mountain at 80. I can barely climb my stairs at 66. He's climbing a mountain and gonna build his place on the mountain. I want that mountain. I hear here I want that mountain. They say, oh, shut up, get the mountain. Get up in the mountain and leave us alone. But people get tired of your vision. The vision comes on the mountain. The greatest visions, greatest plans are made on the mountain top. You can see what nobody else can see. If you ever have an encounter with God on the mountain, a mountain top experience, you'll never be the same. You'll believe God for the impossible, but you gotta be a mountain dweller. Number five. Mountain dwellers are people of prayer, people of faith, people of obedience, people of vision, number five. Mountain dwellers are people of courage. First Kings 17, 18 tells the story of an Elijah that we've read often about. For three and a half years, he was hidden by God during the drought while men sought him and the king sought for his life. If you find that Elijah, bring him to me, we're gonna kill him. He's troubling Israel. When he come out of hiding, we saw the first one, they said, you're the one that troubled Israel. Elijah did a, a challenge to the prophets of Baal and on that memorial day in 1 Kings 18, he gathers this altar, gets it in order, makes fun of the prophets while they dance around and scream to a God that is neither alive nor exists and is dead and he says, maybe he's asleep. Cry a little louder, maybe he's on vacation. They're cutting themselves, mutilating their bodies, throwing stuff, singing, doing the boot scooting boogie, everything you can imagine, and nothing's happening. And Elijah said, <laughs> a little louder, boys. Come on, put another, put another, do another verse, sing another verse. Maybe God will show up. And God didn't show up. They're God. And Elijah said, we're going to have fun. And Elijah said, boys, bring some barrels of water and just soak the altar. That enough? No, bring four more. Bring four more. By now, the water's everywhere. And there's a water shortage. There's a drought. He's emptying barrels of water on the ground. He prays a little, what is it, 30-some word prayer? Just a small prayer. And He said, Lord, you do it so they'll know there's a God in Israel? And all of a sudden, the fire fell, lapped up the water, lapped up the stones, lapped up the altar. And when Elijah got through mopping up all the mess, all those false prophets were dead. That happened on the mountain. And he goes to the other end of the mountain and starts praying. He sends his servant, says, "Go out to the edge and see if you see anything looks like a cloud." Six times he comes back. No, Elijah. There's no sign of rain. The seventh time, the guy comes back and says, "Elijah, there's a little bitty, tiny cloud, about the size of a man's hand." Elijah said, "Get ready, boys. Let's get down the mountain. There's a thunderstorm coming." Now that takes faith. He's a man of faith. He's a man of prayer. But he's a man of courage. He just confronted every prophet of Baal and had them all killed and tagged them down to the Valley of Kidron. And now he's praying for God to send rain back to the nation. He's unloosing heaven again. And he starts down the mountain, outruns the king's chariot. Can you, I can't imagine. The king's, get up, get up, here comes Elijah. Hey, boys. The king said, I should have rode with him. He's flying down the mountain passing. And it's all because he saw just he didn't Elijah never saw it. He took the word of his servant. He said, There's just a little bit of cloud by the side of him. He could have not done that had he not been a man of prayer, a man of courage, and a man of faith. And that took place not in the valley, not down at the brook, not the widow's house, on the mountain. Are, Are you getting where I'm going? Does it make any sense? The reason some of this is bothering you. Because you're living in the valley. And you think that's the most spiritual place to be is in the valley. In the valley he restoreth. Why we sing that? And God does restore us in the valleys, he has to. But if he never takes you to the mountaintops, you're not going to live very long. you got to get up above the clouds once in a while. i got to get up above the snake line once in a while. I've been hounded by the snakes for, for 40, almost 50 years. Next year will be 50 years of marriage and 50 years of ministry and I'm absolutely tired of the snakes. Every now and then, Brother Farrell, I got to get up above the snake line. I got to get up where God dwells. I got to get my eyes and my body up to the hills. I don't just look to the hills anymore. I go to the hills. I'm tired of looking at the hills. I want to run to the hills and what's come with my help? God show up in the mountain. I need a mountaintop experience and I want to be right slap dab in the middle of it when he shows up. Somebody say amen. Mountaintop people of courage. Elijah was a man of courage. He challenged all of God's enemies and God will empower you on the mountain. If you've got a challenge facing you that is more than you've ever faced, you need to get up to the mountain. Today's preachers are weak. They're scared to stand in this day. Oh, don't rock. Don't make any way. Don't don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Don't preach that. Don't deal with that. You're too controversial. You wouldn't believe how many preachers through the years told me. Preacher, if you just... Tone it down a little. You'd get to preach in places that, you know, you never dreamed of. You'd have more people. You'd have a bigger crowd. Then I had a crowd that said, well, you got too many people coming because if you was really preaching, you wouldn't have a crowd. I mean, I never could quite understand what they were trying to, the point they were making. I had a guy to one time, he said, I heard you as a compromiser. I I've ever heard you as a compromiser. He's a liberal. And he said, I heard you preach. I said, you preach like my preacher. I told me his preacher. I said, he's a great man of God. He said, you preach like my preacher. I said, "We well, can't believe everything you hear 'Cause some people's gonna make talk about you no matter what you do. If you don't have anybody, you must not be doing it right. If you've got too big a crowd, you're not doing it right. If you're not pastoring, you must be out of God's will. If you're pastoring, you're out of God's will. If you go to the mission field, you're out of God's will. If you quit, you're out of God's will. If you keep serving God until you're 107, you're out of God's will. You should have quit when you are 37. I mean, it's nothing in that. Nothing's ever right. But if, as long as you go with God and you just stand with God, God gives you the courage. Just do what God says. Get up above the snake line. Let God show you what His will is. Quit worrying about what the Pope says. Quit worrying about what there's no independent Baptist Pope, last I heard. Just quit worrying about what Doctor So and So says, and just get with God on the mountain. Say, God, what's your assignment for me? If it's to be a symbol sounder, I'm going to clash the symbols. Whether this preacher likes symbols or not, I'm going to clash the symbols. I'm going to blow the bazooka. I'm going to blow the whatever. I'm going to do what, do what God said. But get with God on the mountain. Tell them all to take a hike and just have fun with Jesus. Amen. But it takes courage. It takes courage. True preachers. They're having problems today. They're too weak. And I believe it's because they don't have a mountaintop experience. I was in St. Louis one time with a preacher. and First time I'd ever been with him. I'd been with him in meetings, but never at his church. I would preached there a week, and he brought me down to his office that night, and he asked me a question. He said, I want you to critique my ministry. I said, okay. I've known you now for a week at your church and seen you a couple times in other meetings, so what do you want me to say? He said, Well, I take my ministry. I said, Okay, I'll ask you one question. Tell me about your prayer life. He said, Well, you want to know? I said, Tell me about your prayer life. Well, how do you pray? What's your just give me a typical day of prayer? I said, well, I said, okay. He said, but I don't know how to tell you. He said, I pray every day. I said, okay, well, you should. You're a preacher, I guess you should pray every day. That's a good thing. I said, have you ever, every now and then do you just take a day and get away from everybody and spend four, five, six hours with God and just let God give you some refuel and refresh. He said, you mean pray for like six, eight hours? I said, yeah, yeah, like six or eight hours with God. What would you pray about? I said, are you kidding? He said, yeah, what would I pray? He said, I said, what's the most you ever prayed? He said, probably 20, 30 minutes. I said, well, have you ever just got with God and not prayed, just said, God, I'm here. If you've got something you want to show me. Sometimes the older I get, my prayer life has changed. It's not about me talking to God. It's about me hearing from God. Sometimes we tell God what we want him to do. We don't have time for God to tell us what he wants us to do. Sometimes you need to shut up and listen. Prayer's not just you talking to God. Prayer's God talking to you. And I don't hear an audible voice, but I do have that still, small voice. And if you got your Bible open many times while you're praying, God will give you a word. Oh, I know that's charismatic. But God will give you something from the Bible. You believe in the Bible, don't you? Some of y'all don't even believe God can speak to you. You just believe that God that used to talk don't talk no more. God's not deaf and God's not mute and God can talk. God's got eyes and God's got ears. He's not a dumb statue, God can talk. Boy, that went over like a lead balloon. Cause some of you don't pray. Some of you just, you have a little Christmas list like a Santa Claus wish list, God do this and this and this and save this and do this, and that's it, thank you God, have a good day. You do that in about 30 seconds. You pray for everybody, God save the whole world, bless all the preachers, bless all the churches, bless all my family, give us a good night's rest, meet every need in Jesus' name, you go to sleep, that's it. But sometimes you gotta get with God and say, God, I don't even know how to pray. You gotta be honest, I don't know how to pray. Brother Tully, there's more times that I've gotten older, I don't know what to ask God for. I thought I used to know everything, now I realize the older I get, how dumb I am. I used to think my mama was the dumbest person in the whole world, I thought she's so stupid, she don't know nothing. Time I got 40, my mama, she must've went to school, because she got so intelligent by the time I was 40. And then I started talking and sounding like my mama, I said, what if I'm sounding like my mama? I'd say things, I said, that's my mama talking but I realized she was not as dumb as I thought she was. And now my kids are starting to sound like me and my wife and I listen to them and they look at me and I say, uh-oh, they say, yeah, we sound like you. I said, it's finally hit you, it catches on. You learn as you get older, but people are so afraid just to get with God and they're scared because they don't spend time with God. If you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a prayer life that spends time with God and you don't ever go to the mountaintop with God, you're gonna be a weak, anemic Christian. I'm almost through. I said that already. I lied. I'm I'm not lying this time. I'm almost through. Number six, mountain dwellers are people of true worship. Now listen to me. Worship has taken on so many facets in our world today of what people call worship. Worship. For most of today's church, worship is a a lot of music with loud music and loud singing, a praise band, dancing around six or eight, excuse me, fat men, fat women, bald men on the stage, singing with a microphone, looking like Hollywood, with a live orchestra, singing songs that nobody knows the words to. And people don't have seats. They're standing like at a rock band, rock concert, standing in the pit down here. And you see these old people, 90 years old, back there trying to keep up with the 17-year-olds. I mean, they're really cool. you know. And these guys that are 70, 80 years old, trying to look like they're 16-year-old teeny bopper. In there, but, and, and they say, oh, we had a real worship service today. I felt so, I was so alive. I was so free. Worship is not about feeling alive and feeling free worship is when you enter into the holy of holies you have an encounter with a holy god jesus said there's been a time when you've worshipped in this mountain. you don't know what you've worshipped but he said there's coming a time when you don't worship in this mountain neither at jerusalem because they that worship the father must worship him not with a praise band and be free and alive but worship him in spirit and in truth now we boast of having truth. But can I just be honest? Most of our Baptist churches are dead as a hammer. There's no spirit. Get mad. I don't care. I'm leaving tonight. Leaving in the morning. I, I'm old enough to say this. I don't, I don't have to apologize because I know it's true. I've traveled 42 states, 13 countries. I've been in churches all around the country. I've been in big, small. I've preached for all the guys. You all know them. I've preached for all of them. But a lot of our Baptist churches, brother the you are dead. There's no spirit. I've been in churches where God began to move and the preacher stand up and stop it. I was at a Bible college preaching one time and the vice president, the president, the pastor was not there, vice president, the new vice president was sitting on the stage. Before I preached, I had a young lady come up and sing several hundred students in the Bible college. She sang and God the Holy Ghost got on her and she didn't know what hit her. She was weeping and the entire student body started moving to the altar weeping, he got up and came rise and I said I don't know what to do, what do I do? I said I tell you what we do, go over and sit down, let's just see what God does, he didn't know what to do, if I hadn't stopped him he'd have, he'd have ruined it, I stood up and said just obey God and the entire student body flooded the altar. They wept, we had kids got saved. Kids surrendered to the mission field and for the first class we went through the chapel hour, went through the next class which was supposed to be lunch period and went into the class after two and a half hours we were in that chapel service and God did a work and nobody preached and nobody did anything but God did a work and most preachers have truth but they're afraid of the spirit. Then you got the other extreme over here. You got a bunch of folks that boast of having the spirit Spirit. but the truth is going to fly out the door. They're Calvinist charismatic compromisers, contemporary, call it what you want to. I want to be right where I'm supposed to be. I want the truth of God in the King James Bible preached by a man of God living like God wants you to live and then I want to preach the truth with the power of God surreal that you feel like the fog is settled in and somebody has to get a see and i dog to get you out of there, Amen. And I'm gonna tell you, our churches have become so dead. He said, the, the truth killeth, the law killeth, but the, the spirit giveth life. If all you've got is truth and law, you've got nothing that's gonna give you life, but you gotta have spirit, somebody help me. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to say amen. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to let out a holy hallelujah. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to open up your mouth and sing. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to shout. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to cry. It's not gonna hurt you once in a while to get an emotional, have an emotional experience with God. You're in church, you're saved. Jesus is coming, the Holy Ghost is real. The word of God is true. Our families are in church. Thank God there's enough to shout about. It's good to feel the presence of God and have some shouts in your heart. Spirit and truth. But those that never get to the mountain don't understand what true worship is. Jesus, before he descended back to the Father, the disciples were told to go meet him in the mountain, Matthew twenty-eight, sixteen, seventeen. Disciples go to the mountain to see Jesus, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. I know you're gonna go on ahead that next and some doubt it. Well, in a service like this, you can have part of you are worshiping while some are sitting over there and saying, well, I don't know what they're so excited about. I don't feel a thing. That's because there's some worshiping and you're doubting. There's been times I've been in church and everybody else was happy but me and I thought they were all wrong, but I realized that something in my heart was hindering me from having true worship. I get excited when other people get excited. It rubs off on me, it does. We had a lady in our home church. Her name was Granny Porch. She's a little bit old lady, probably about five foot tall. Probably weighed 90 pounds soaking wet. Had her hair all put up in a little bun here. And uh, she sat on the second row about where you're sitting. And she never said a lot, but when God would show up, she'd stand up, whoa, glory, glory. Whoa, glory, glory, glory. Whoa, glory, glory. That's all she she'd do. she just shout. It was down at Camp Zion one time, she got shouting. And she went 45 minutes like that, and Dr. Ray, ha, 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 get on her, Jesus, get on her. Whoa, glory. That's all she said, glory, glory. But if you've been in her home, you see she walked holy with God. She lived in the mountaintop experience with the gospel. She knew what true worship was. I can tell you this. I don't have to be at church to worship. It's a good place to worship. But there's times walking that two mile walk every morning. And I see about 30 some deer and some of them have some good looking horns on them. We got three bear loose in the community now and they've been active the last couple of weeks so I carry my pistol every day anyway. And I saw a fox other morning and I saw nine gobblers the other morning. That's enough to get the flesh excited. But I'm always having music on when I'm walking. And every now and then one of them songs will come on, just one of them songs, you know, that one song that you just need. And you're praying and that one song comes on and all of a sudden you're walking down the road and you forget where you are and God just shows up and it's just like, this is worship. I ain't even got a choir or preacher but me. We're just having time God shows up and just worship. Because when you live in the mountaintop, you learn how true worship really is. True worship is not about who's there. True worship is about him. Just me and Jesus, you can have a worship service. Mountaintop experience, people have true worship. Psalms 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, my help comes from the Lord. These three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration were so excited about the true worship they were experiencing the glorified Savior. They wanted to build those three tabernacles. People who dwell on the mountaintop learn what true worship is. Then the last one I'm through, mountain dwellers are people who experience the supernatural. Now listen to me. One thing that I've seen in 40 some years of the independent Baptist that scares me is we have slowly but surely drawn away from the supernatural. I'm gonna sit down here because I wanna say this with all humility and I'm getting tired too. There's so many preachers in our circles and, and, I, and I'm almost afraid to say this, I don't wanna be critical, God help me. But I think the Lord wants me to say it. I'm 66, I'm not the oldest here, but I've been preaching almost 50 years. Brother Farrell, you've seen this. Preachers you know that you started with used to believe God for supernatural things. It wasn't any problem for them to believe for five radio stations. You Years ago, I mean now, I mean this even shocks you what God's done. But you see a God that's doing the supernatural and you're not really surprised by it. I mean you thought if I get one, you'd be satisfied. But God says I'm bigger than one. I'm God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. So he give you three more. That's that's God. And God, and what, what I tell you, go, you got you're, you're having to bring in tractor. What I tell you, you need to start praying for instead of tractor trailer. You start praying for box cars. You can't get all the paper you want on a tractor trailer. Start praying for God to send you a train load, box car load of paper. You brought in six trailer loads. Why not pray for a whole train load? Is God big enough to do that? If God can pay 256,000, God can pray 2.5 million. It's not a problem for God. But we have become preachers and Christians that no longer live in the supernatural. We cannot believe God to do any more than what we've seen. But God is able to do exceedingly. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Exceedingly abundantly, wait a minute. Exceedingly abundantly above, wait a minute. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even think, wait a minute, all that you can think or ask. Think of the biggest thing you can think about and God can do bigger than that. God's gonna let you print seven million Bibles with these two new presses, but why can't God let you print 70 million Bibles? Well, you can't think that big. Seven million blows my mind. But 70 million is no problem for God. God can give you another whole printing building somewhere if he wants to. You believe that? He's a supernatural God. You believe God can answer prayer? God can answer any prayer. Well, if God can save you, why can't God provide a million dollars worth of paper? You know, it's the strangest thing. We believe God can save us out of hell. We can't believe God can pay our power bill. You might as well save me because you know I'm telling the truth. You'll get some bill in the mail that'll knock you cockeyed crazy. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. God, what are you doing to me? I don't know how I'm going to get If God can save you out of hell and you have no problem shouting about it, but get a $300 doctor bill, my world's just falling apart. What am I going to do? My God, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns everything in it. And if God can save you, God can meet any. God can build five stations. God can add five more. God can let you reach the whole nation. God can let you preach to the whole world God's bigger than anything you can even think about or ask somebody help me whatever your vision here is brother preacher it ain't big enough cause as big as you're thinking and I know you I know you you got a vision for this church you've got what God put in Tedder's heart and it's been birthed in there for 58 years and he birthed it in you but it's bigger than you could even think if you told this church what's in your heart, you'd scare them out to death. There's no, no reflection on you. But we've become such a people of the of the natural, we can't believe God for the supernatural. How many kids you got in school? Okay, God may have 500 in the next five years. Where are you gonna put them? That's the first thing you got, where are you gonna put them? How are you gonna pay for them? Well, poor God. All the Rock of Ages missionaries, half of them ain't even got their support up and they raised $200,000 in three days among a bunch of Rock of Ages missionaries and over half of them there didn't even have but a fourth of their support. And they said, how in the name of heaven that happened? If God can raise money, if God can raise the dead, if God can heal the sick, if God can give back a dumb country preacher, his voice had to sing in August the 5th, 2022, I've got a God of the supernatural. Whatever you're asking God for, you can do bigger than you ever imagined. I'm through. God is the God of the supernatural. And most of you are living in a natural world, believing in a natural God. But these three disciples in Jesus on the mountaintop, they saw the supernatural. Jesus was glorified. They saw the supernatural. They saw Elijah and Moses. They saw the supernatural. The cloud of God covered the mountain. The Shekinah glory and they heard the supernatural. God spoke with his voice. And if those disciples can experience the supernatural on the Mount of Transfiguration, how much more can you, in Victory Baptist Church tonight, can't to call a Baptist camp meeting, how much more can your God do the supernatural in your life? Most of us Christians have spent more time in the valleys than we have on the mountain. We even try to convince ourselves that the valleys are better for us. And the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. But even though we talk about the valleys and spend more time in the valleys, we never experience all God has for us his closeness, his presence, his power in the supernatural, unless we learn to dwell on the mountaintop. Do you want to be a person of prayer? You want to be a person of faith? You want to be a person of obedience? You want to be a person with vision? You want to be a person of courage, a person of true worship, and a person who experiences supernatural, then you gotta get out of the valley. Some of y'all need to go to the mountain. I tonight, on this last night of the meeting, confess to you I want to be a mountain dweller. I love the mountains. I want to be Caleb. Lord, give me this mountain. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to live on the mountain. I've walked through my valley for 10 years. I feel like I'm coming to the mountain. I'm getting a peek at the peak, peeking over the other side. I'm starting to see things I hadn't seen in 10 years. I'm so excited tonight. I'm so nervous. I feel like my feet are shaking because I feel like God's taking me to the mountain again. It's been a long valley. I want to be a man of courage and a man of faith and a man of vision. I told God today, I want to be a man of the supernatural. I want God to do something for me he's never done before. I want to go out of this life in victory. I want to go out when I die. I want to go out and leave a supernatural imprint that God has done something through my life. And I want to be a mountain dweller. Every head bowed as we stand all over the building. Musicians are coming. I want to live on the mountain. Some of y'all are in the valley tonight. Some of y'all have been in the valley for a long time. Some of y'all are facing things that you cannot face in the valley. You got to get out of the valley. You got to get up on the mountaintop so you can get a glimpse of what God sees. God's looking down on us. You need to get up where God's at. You need to get up on the mountain and say, God, I need you to visit me like you visited those three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. I need to see the supernatural, I need to hear the supernatural, I need to experience the supernatural. I need to come down out and see, they came down out of the mountain and they faced a challenge as soon as they come off the mountain and Jesus said this kind goes on out but by prayer and faith. They still didn't get it. They'd come off the mountain and still doubted God couldn't even cast out that demon out of that boy that was foaming at the mouth and thrown into the fire and Jesus said you're just not praying and fasting. You've got to become a mountain dweller to learn how to pray how to have faith. Father, I've minded you tonight the best I know how. I wanna thank you first of all. God, this journey that began almost a year ago, just right before this meeting, Lord, you begin to plan things for me to bring me out of the valley, to put me on the mountaintop again, Lord, and the miracle you've done in my voice to allow me to sing tonight. And God, the liberty you've given me to preach in this place tonight. I feel like a young man tonight, Lord, being able to preach again. With that anointing and God I know that's you and I asked you to do that tonight and you did. God I want to be a mountain dweller. I want to be a Caleb at 80 that claims his mountain. I want to be a man of vision, a man of courage, a man of faith, a man of obedience, a man of prayer, man of a man of the supernatural and learns how to worship you in spirit and truth. Now God there's people here tonight that are in the valley, they need a mountaintop experience. Help them to leave this place and go back to their respective homes and places of service And be grateful that God here at Victory, they were able for a little while to spend some time on the mountain. Have your will and way. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Preacher.